Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> I forgot to take the logo thing off the freaking podcast. I'll try to remember it for tomorrow. I just, it's hard to find. I got irritated when I remembered to do it and I got distracted and whatever. My book came out today. I want to thank everybody who bought. I super appreciate it. Um, And the reviews and the people leaving stars, that's super awesome. I have nightmares because I have a lot of people who don't like me and fandoms that they're going to like, you know, just like destroy my book and reviews. <laughs> And, like, revenge because I'm an asshole. It's entirely possible. Um, so I'm really pleased to see all the little stars everywhere. I thank you very much for that. Um, <clears throat> I'm really super proud of the book. I I feel like it's uh, just, like, just really good writing on my part. And sometimes when you get finished with a project, you think, oh, well, that was, that's okay. And you're kind of disappointed in yourself. And then other times you finish something and you go, yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> When I finished Fall for You, it was a yeah moment. I feel like I really, you know, brought home a story and a a really good, um, my plot was solid and super awesome. And um, I just felt really good about it when I finished it. So I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. Tonight's question is about, oh, my next book, I'm on the fence about doing it about um, um, Kronos. Or his brother, Jared. So I'm I'm on the fence about which one to do next. Um, Jared's will be a het romance, and Kronos's is probably going to be a gay romance. And so I kind of want to almost do a het romance um, to kind of, you know, I don't know. It, it just depends on my mood when I sit down to read it. There we go. And I also want to do a direct sequel to Fall for You with Marcus and Riley, um, a book two for them. And it might be like book three or book four in the series. Cause I, I, I kind of want to explore Riley becoming um, – I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I want to explore Riley's circumstances, and I want to do the mating um, as well. So um, <clears throat> that will be another book, and I'm looking forward to that too. <clears throat> but – since not everybody who's listening to this podcast is probably finished complete um, reading it, I'm not going to discuss any of the plot topic on, on that. I'm very fond of the character of Jared. Uh, he um, He's just terrible. And I, I really, really enjoyed inserting all that humor into the story. And um, just really, just I gave him all the best lines. He got... All the best lines in the book. Uh, it's just uh, he's. It was really nice to have a character that I could just he could just say whatever the hell he wanted, you know, and <laughs> and it was ter- it was kind of charming and terrible at the same time, and so. <clears throat> Gillian, I I want to do a book for Gillian too. Um, her circumstances are really interesting, and and I like that she's ex-military, and. Um, I I really am interested in exploring her circumstances and uh, her reconnecting with her wolf 
And um, so that's something to talk about, too. So I have actually, I have three books plotted for the series. Um, and uh, I don't have Jillian's plotted yet, but Gillian's plotted yet, but um, I I want to. Um, so it's all there. It's all there in my head. But speaking of plots, tonight's question is from Jilly. Um, <clears throat> and the question is, is, I don't know if this question has come up, but what's your strategy for managing multiple separate plot lines in a story? Whether it's more like an extreme version where you have one storyline happening on Earth and one on another planet, or a minor secondary storyline in a book. Or she didn't say in a book, but I added it in a book. Fuck it. Let's go on. <laughs> extrapolated i extract see it's one of those nights i'm going to have time i don't have a hard time talking in any language much less my only one okay anyways although i did take two years of spanish in high school it didn't work out because he was really hot my spanish teacher was super hot and it was really hard to pay attention in that class because um he was super hot, and he would be up there speaking Spanish. And uh, <laughs> who? <laughs> the only people who passed that class were boys, straight ones. Straight boys passed that class. Everybody else was like skinning by. It was like skin of our teeth passing. Like all the boys had A's, and the girls and the not so straight boys had C's. <laughs> it was really difficult to pay attention in that class because he was beautiful. And then he would be up there speaking Spanish with this amazing, oh, God, it sounded, I can't, I can say for a fact that I left every single class that man ever taught damp, at the very least, because that was, I don't even know. Anyways, completely off topic, that's okay. I still had a little bit of a headache. So, um, we'll see how this goes. I don't think it's caffeine. I'm, I'm caffeined up. I've had four, um, cups of coffee in the past three hours. So, I don't think it's actually, I don't watch Glee. Wait, Ricky Martin was on Glee? I have to watch, can, can, can someone make a list of the episodes that Ricky Martin was in so I can watch those? I don't want to actually watch the whole show. <laughs> Just kidding. I can look it up on IMDb. You don't have to help me out that way. It's okay. Anyway, I watched um, Voice Australia just so I can watch Ricky Martin. Awesome. He's so pretty. <laughs> I have no shame. None. Anyways, separate plot lines. It really, actually, the extreme example is often more difficult to write. Like in Sentinels of Atlantis, I am more than willing to watch him shake his bonbon. Come on now. Come on. Although I despair of anybody who thought that man was straight. I'm just saying. I was not surprised. (laughs) Anyways, back 
to the subject. Okay, in Sentinels of Atlantis, I'm running um, a series of plot lines, and they kind of move in and out of each other, and sometimes they impact each other in, in weird ways that, um, that I didn't always um, account for when I was doing the plotting. And so when I would write, I'm like, oh, shit, that's going to do this, so I have to go over here and do this to make this make sense. And coming up to the search, the last episode in season one of Sentinels of Atlantis, I had to merge all the plot lines. I had to merge everything so that John was where he was supposed to be, and Patrick was where he was supposed to be, and um, Matt was on the planet he was supposed to be on. And so, and it had to, it had to happen naturally, right? I mean, it had to happen in such a way that John's travel to that planet from Atlantis made sense. You know, it, there was build up there. Uh, and um, what happened is I had a hard time uh, reconciling the events of The episode where the Sentinels are off-world and they get poisoned. And then the episode with the search, because Rodney was still having a difficult time with John going off-planet. And I had worked that into the the plot line for Atlantis, but it conflicted with my plot building on Earth. And so I had to move them together. And I think it was a little awkward, because... I had put all that emotional content into um, Rodney's situation and didn't account for it in my event plot. Because I do plot um, twice. I do um, event plotting and I do um, internal motivation plotting. So there's external plot and internal plot. And my internal plot is usually a response to my <clears throat> external plot, like point for point. This event happens. This is how this person responds. This is how this person responds. This is how this person responds. Just to, you, just depending on how many characters were involved in the event. So I outline how each person is impacted by these events in a separate plot. But I think one of the most useful tools when you're running dual plots, especially like in Sentinels of Atlantis, is the cloud plotting. Because you can do your clouds and connect them, and you can see where your connections are, are, are going to be your problem if you do that. Is this going to connect right in the right space? Is my timing good? Are my characters in the right place emotionally? And you can do it that way. Now, when you run a minor plot in a book, that minor plot My rule of thumb when I'm running a, a, a subplot in a novel is that my subplot can have little to no impact on my main plot. Events in my, if events in my subplot impact heavily on my main plot, it's no longer a subplot. In order for it to be and remain a subplot, it has to follow under my main plot from start to finish. How does that make sense? So if it bobs up and hits the surface and it hits my top, it hits the top of my plot, then I've got a problem. I've got an event in my subplot that 
has huge ramifications in my in my main plot, and therefore my subplot is no longer a subplot. So my subplot runs along the surf um, underneath my main plot, and I never have more than. In a novel, I, I would never want to have more than say two subplots, and I don't consider um, background character arcs necessarily a subplot. So, like in um, in that old Black Magic, you have uh, the main plot, which is that let, that Neville Longbottom lost his mind in the future and sent Harry and Draco back into time. That's the main plot. And their movement throughout the story as they change things, as they move things around, as they, um, you know, Sirius Black gets saved, they start to maneuver Severus into a different path so he's not killed. Uh, you see these things happening. You see them kind of manipulate and move um, Draco's mother around. So um, they have a different circumstance because in the future she never approved of their relationship. So you see them moving around in the in the plot, and that's that, that that's the main plot. Every bit of it, all of their actions, Draco's and Harry's, are part of the main plot. And then you have minor character arcs, which I don't consider subplots, like my my, my joking relationship with um, uh. Severus and Sirius in Birth of the Serpent King, that's a minor character arc, but I wouldn't consider it a subplot. Um, in order for something to elevate to a subplot, as far as I'm concerned, it, it has to have dedicated scenes to it. There has to be movement for for these characters in a in a in a way. You know. So yeah, like when <laughs> When Draco jokingly offers his mother to Remus in um, that old black magic, I would consider that a minor character arc and not a subplot. Because it only comes up that once, and it's an idea that's, you know, now it's kind of brewing in the back of Remus's head, you know, <laughs> because of what Draco and Harry have done. But it still doesn't meet, for me, the burden of a subplot. Now, Jilly is actually on the phone, so I'm going to hmm, click her. I'm going to click her, and I'm pretty sure this is her. Is that you? <laughs> okay. Did that answer your question? You did. Well, I guess I'm, um, sort of. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm actually juggling the, I think I do better with subplots. I do okay with subplots, but the, having two main storylines that are running in parallel, that's something I've never done before, and it's sort of driving me crazy, um, because it feels awkward having not done it before, and I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. just a function of lack of practice, or if, you know, it's hard to tell of, like, is this unfamiliar skill, and that's why it feels clunky, or is it, like, am I doing it wrong? Well, I do. Um, Whenever I feel like I might be having a problem with something like that, I build myself a timeline. And I put the events of both plots into the timeline. And I see where they're merging and and where they're moving apart. And a lot of times when you do that, you can see where your disconnect began. Because if you're not careful when you're running two subplots, 
or two two plots in in the same story, you essentially begin to write two books that you're smushing together in a way that's inappropriate. If you do your timeline, you can see whether you are writing one book or if you're inadvertently writing two. Right, because I think I think the 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 sort of linear writer in me wants to make it two separate stories, but they have so many points of convergence that um, that actually violates one of my biggest pet peeves, which is mm-hmm. retelling the same thing from two separate <sighs> points of view. Yeah, I hate that too. So you'd have all these points of converge because ultimately the story does converge, mm-hmm. and everybody the two storylines do come together. Um, well, and they 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 kind of come weave in and out of each other, and then converge together completely at the end. But a big chunk at the beginning they really aren't connected in any meaningful way. They're doing very different things, mm-hmm. so it feels very disjointed that. You've got this Atlantis plot line over here on the side, and you've got this Earth plot line over here, and they both almost have equal weight. And mm-hmm. they come together sometimes, and then they come apart, and they are really focused. They're not focused on um, the same things in any way, except when they come mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And so, so let, me ask, let me ask you a question. Is, is this the same project you asked about when it came to... Um, Novellas versus episodes? No. This is the, okay. um, I don't mind telling what it is. This is the Emergent sequel, mm-hmm. which I started back in um, uh, April. And uh, I had some I had some order issues where I got some things out of order, and I kind of went back and pulled it apart and got things in the right order. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of was just kind of making me crazy to have Rodney's story going on and Tony's story going on. And they come together, and the parts where they came together is working. And I was like, is this feeling so clunky because I'm not used to this? Or is this just not working? And mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking it's because I'm not used to it. So that's kind of why I asked the question. is like, Because I know you kind of had to do something similar with Sentinels of Atlantis where you had everybody on a very different path on Earth, and then everything ultimately kind of came, coalesced into... I mean, you obviously... You couldn't see it at the time, but it was all being going towards a single point. Um, that was really hard to do. And I think that if I had been writing that in novel format, that I would have stumbled and fell. Which is why I asked you if you were writing this as one uh, as a, a single project or if it was an episode or episodic. Episodic? Does that work? Episodic? Uh, project. Um, because I think that one of the reasons that Sentinels of Atlantis worked as far as the multiple arcs went and the different character arcs and the um, and the big plot on Atlantis and the gradual <laughs> emergence of a very um, <laughs> complicated plot on Earth is because I was writing it in episode format. And so I could move um, through my event plot very easily um and be on Earth and then be on Atlantis and then be on Earth and then be on Atlantis and then give the reader a little peek at what's happening on Earth, like in the Queen, when the 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 Queen mostly takes place from Miko's point of view, 
And then it shifts to Rodney, and, you know, there's some John moments when he finds the Sentinel um, that's been killed on the, the little station thing. And But mostly what happens is the Queen is about Miko. And then at the very last, the last part, the last scene takes place on Earth, and that's when David Shepard wakes up as a Sentinel. And it was to demonstrate for those of you who haven't quite gotten it yet, that Miko is David's guide. And what it was demonstrating was that when she relaxed and accepted that she was a guide, the psionic plane connected the two of them, and David Shepard woke up, literally and figuratively. And so, and he connects first with his son. And, and his son's heartbeat. And that is a mirror of Patrick and John. And John admits to Patrick that he imprinted on his heart. And it was his heart that beat he looked for every night before he went to sleep. And it had been missing for years. And that scene comes together in the search. <laughs> so I put so much effort into Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, and I think that if I hadn't done it in episode format, that it would have been one big jumbled mess. See, I thought about pulling, um, and the scenes you talked about just now, it's like, you know, I remember those scenes, they were so vivid, and I kind of got all emo here for a second. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, tripped and fell into some feelings, but... I'm working on brushing that shit off, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, but I thought about pulling up my, my plot for the sequel and doing it in episodes, but then there's that part of me that went, but I wrote the first book as a novel, a really long novel, and it sort of was like, well, I felt like I was stuck in novel format with no. the sequel. You don't think so? No. It doesn't seem clunky to go from a novel to episodes. No. Mostly okay. because, and this is my point of view, um, and you can take it as it is, um, it's my shit, and I'll do what I want with it. <laughs> and the thing is, is if you do write it in episode format, you can put the episodes out, and then at the end of the, of the whatever you do with it, at the end when you're finished with your episodes, you can make a big fucking ebook and pass it out, and and the, your readers are going to be happy either way. They don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> they just want your stuff, and, and and that's what it boils down to. And if you're more comfortable, it's actually not a bad idea for you to explore. Um, writing in an episode format in a um, in a storyline where you're already comfortable because that's that would be a new experience for you, you know, writing them, um, you know, moving them into episodes. So it would give you practice on that particular skill, but it would give you practice in a very safe um, kind of um, storyline because you because you've already been there once. You've um, you've already written that big book. You've got a huge foundation on which to work. I think one of the reasons why Sentinels of Atlantis works so well is because I had a huge foundation. Um, my first episode is 30K, but my foundation is the actual series of Stargate, you know, because going into it, 
um, Stargate readers were already comfortable with the episode format because that's how the fucking show was told. And so moving into an episode format, they were all like, yay, look at this. <laughs> you know, and so it was easy to do because of that. And because you already have your big story told, you could do episodes ever how you want it. Because you've built a huge foundation. Huge. You've got a huge foundation that you're that that you're sitting on, so you could spring a whole series of episodes out of it. I think pretty easily, but it's in the end, it becomes your choice and what you're comfortable doing. Um, and you might find it easier to deal with the multiple plot lines if you were doing an episode format. I think it would, and I've and that's why I think I've had the the discomfort is because trying to figure out how to. Because I'm estimating that the sequel is about as long as the original in total, what all the plot lines that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. About as long as the original, so that's about another 200,000 words. And um, That's kind of overwhelming. Yeah, and, and to try to do that as another single novel, um, when it's at least, we got the two separate main storylines plus subplots. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a lot of juggling, and it was feeling a little bit. And so I think if I if I pieced it out a little bit, if I went back to the drawing board mm-hmm. and went, okay, so in this episode I'm going to focus on mostly on Earth, but then we'll deal with the you know the the convergence points, and then where they touch Atlantis, and then pick up the next episode on with Atlantis again or whatever. That um, I think it would feel also a little bit more um, cohesive to the reader. And it's fun. I mean, it's it's very fun to write in episode format. And like Capricious says, maybe your first book was a movie and it got picked up for a TV series. <laughs> I like that. Actually, i got to write that down. <laughs> because I'm probably going to put that on my webpage. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, put, I'm joking in quotes, because your fans are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the movie? I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Not that I can say anything because my fans are crazy too, but that's okay. I love my crazy fans. I'd put them out on the porch with some tea and maybe a BB gun. (laughs) 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 But, no, you know, I think that um, writing in an episode format frees you up because you can, you can, it gives you a little, like, um... Uh huh. I don't know how to put this. I need to put something. It's like a little, a little packet. You have a little plot packet, and each little plot packet is is its own little world. It's got its beginning, its middle, and its end. And then you can pull a thread out of that packet and attach it to the next one and make your new packet. And it'll have a beginning and a middle and an end. And you feel really accomplished every time you put an episode out. You're like, hell yeah! Look what I did. <laughs> And then you can build this really big epic thing. And because you've um, spread it out over a bunch of episodes, um, it lowers uh, reader fatigue. Um, They don't get bored with it. Um, And that's not really a problem, I think, in fan fiction, (laughs) because 
sometimes I've seen fan fiction readers read upwards of a million words in a week. I mean, I'm like, what? Come on. You, you see them like, 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 like on my site. I'm like, come on. You have read over a million words in four days. Do you have a job? Are you on vacation? <laughs> what? What is going on? Are you locked up somewhere? Leave me a message. I'll save you. <laughs> we have a whole plan for breaking people out of the asylum, so we can do that. We have a plan. We have method. We have means. We don't have immunity, but we won't get caught. <laughs> we have alibis. We do have alibis. We have a whole group that does nothing but alibis. <clears throat> but no, I mean, you know, it's just like it's craziness. So, but I think that um, writing in an episode format is actually, uh, while it might look intimidating from the outside, on the inside, it's it's very liberating because you can. Um, <laughs> Totally fucking derailed me. <laughs> you know, that's your new nickname, don't you? <laughs> Obi-Kira? I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. Obi-Kira, yeah. Oh, God, that was really funny. Thank you. I I, I needed that. Um, you for those of you on the Kira. podcast, you can be she said... When you got CMS. I definitely want to be Darth Kira, I think, instead. I would still help you, though, Sybil. For for those of you on the podcast, Sybil said in the chat room, help me, Obakira, you're my only hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it on faith that she's wearing the muffs. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a desire to be Darth Kira instead. Do I get a red lightsaber either way? I want the purple one. Didn't they do that just for Samuel L. Jackson? Purple I want a double one. I want a double one to and make it purple. <laughs> Doesn't it have to be purple? Here, I I found uh, one of my favorite gag photos. There you go. Is it Betty White? No, it's uh, Matthew Greg Goobler with the with the <laughs> cinnamon rolls. With the puffs, yeah. Um. A double-ended lightsaber. That's exactly what I want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you gotta be kinky. There's just life's too short to be vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have one little thing you do that isn't quite right. Okay, that is my advice to you for life. Just do one thing that isn't quite. That will get you looks. Because everybody needs one. Just one little thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be a little thing. Don't wear underwear. If you want to <laughs> do something big, if you want to do something big, that's a little bit off the curve, go for it. <laughs> but at least have one little thing that you do. That will make everybody go, what the fuck? <laughs> because life is way too short not to have a what the fuck. Here we go. Okay. I found a, I found a good picture of the of the lightsaber Darth Maul's uh, double ended double ended. Yeah, lightsaber. yeah, that's what it I needs want. Be, needs to be needs to be purple though. It's badass. <laughs> no, Barbara, you don't have to wear underwear if you don't want to. Um, optional. Although my grandma had a rule about that, and my grandma's rule went like this: 
when you leave the house, either wear clean underwear or no underwear at all. Because it's better to wear no underwear than dirty underwear. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> okay, so episodes. Episodes, mm-hmm. I think, is a win for me for this. Because, and also, it's probably, you know, as a minor point here, it's also probably a win for the readers, too, because they won't have to wait, oh, you know three years <laughs> <laughs> for you to write 200k more i know right because you know it, it i think that of all the episodes um, all of the series work that i've that i've done on my site that i have the, the most gratification out of um my plot work when it comes to sentinels of atlantis and into a smaller degree of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, because I wrote a lot of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond a very long time ago. So it's not an immediate kind of, yeah, you know, when I have something come together, it's like, because eh. <laughs> I wrote it 15, 20 years ago. I mean, it's been a long time. It's been a really long time. Um, and uh, I had to put so much, I had to put a lot of new, con- in, you know, new content into it, because... When I originally wrote Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, I had only read the first three books. So I had to put the Horcruxes in it, and I had to put um, Nagini in it. Is that, is that how you say that? Na- I've always said it Nagini, but I don't actually Nagini? know. I don't care. The Big Snake. I didn't put the Big Snake in it. You said however uh, you want. And I had to... Um, uh, so there was a lot of things I put into it after the fact that I had to push in to kind of acknowledge the original canon that because it was craziness. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I think in the end having all that additional content as far as canon went helped me build a richer past for Harry and his experiences with his conclave. So, but still as Sentinels of Atlantis um really is a great deal of fun to work in. And it's, um, the episodes just kind of at one point, they they were like butter. I mean, they just kind of, they just kind of poured out. And it was, it was smooth. I mean, it was like really, it was just really a really, really easy writing process because I had my big plot and I had it organized into, um, events and each event was an episode and it it gave me confinement I never had to know I never had to wonder when the episode was going to end because I knew this episode was about this event and when this event is over my episode is done and sometimes when you're constructing chapters you'll kind of get a blur between one chapter and the next because you cut it off for like um for the sake of word count versus anything else. But what when you're writing an episode, whether you end up writing 5K or 10K, you know where you're done because your episode is over. I mean, your event is complete. Does, does that make sense? That does make sense. Because, I mean, I've had that experience with um, chapters where sometimes in the writing process, 
I thought, well, this seems like a good place to do it. And then when I edit, I go, eh, it could be there or there. And it, it's very squishy. Um, right. And it and I noticed that when I like when I read Sentinels of Atlantis or when I read um, the, you know Soulmate Bond, there's nothing squishy about where those end. It's like this is the end, and the next thing it's it's very definite. Um, what the, the that this is the end of this this piece, and so that, I think that that level of constraint would actually be a lot more um, comfortable um, mm-hmm. if it's something new than trying to keep. Um, two two really separate storylines marching on the right path for you know at least two hundred thousand words, and I say at least because I'm terrible underestimator on word count. <laughs> I have trained myself over the years, you know, working under deadline and working under a constraint to say, okay, I'm going to have this event and this event and this event in a chapter. This is going to be about five thousand words. And sometimes I don't always make it, but I'm usually in that ballpark. Um, because I've, when you've had to cut 25K out of your book, it teaches you a very valuable lesson. And because um, it's really painful to make, to, make, to make a cut that big to your novel. So once you've done it, you never want to do it again. <laughs> so you start to, you start to really pay attention to your word economics. And that's really what it boils down to. It's just that, you know, that first cut's really deep, and you never want that cut again. So your brain kind of, you know, helps you out in in that arena. But when it comes to episodes, I mean, you'll notice in Sentinels of Atlantis that some episodes are small and some are big. And that was also um, a choice I made for pacing. Um, Because episodes that are short tend to be very fast-paced, and it was about revving the plot line of the entire season up because while I don't want to complicate your thinking on this I do want to say that when I plotted my first season of Sentinels of Atlantis not only did I plot each individual episode but I plotted an entire season arc so the plot itself through the whole season has its ups and its downs and it moves fast and then it slows down and my my big slow episode is actually the queen because it starts out soft and Miko talking about her life before she you know the program and and how she met McKay and then that movement throughout that episode until the end when she greets the queen and she has to fight for her own life. Um, it's really a, a therapeutic moment for Miko because throughout her whole life she's kind of like gone the way of everybody else. You know, she did what her parents wanted. She followed McKay to um, Atlantis. And she's, you know, been kind of meek about her own, about owning herself. Because there's always been that risk in the back of her mind that the Japanese government might end up owning her instead. And so when she fights the queen, Miko takes ownership of herself and her life. And it's a big moment for her. It's a huge moment for her. And she accepts herself as a guide. And so that big slowdown in the beginning of the episode and it ramps back up is part of the season arc as well as that episode. So when you're planning your season out, you you look at your highs and your lows. And a piece of advice, I did this and I really regretted it. Don't 
leave one of your episodes on a cliffhanger? <laughs> I did it with Harry Potter and Slimit Bond kind of by accident. And it was um, the episode... <laughs> it was the episode, like, leading up to the duel. So it was like Harry's mentor was the episode after my cliffhanger. And I didn't mean to leave it on a cliffhanger. It was just... This event was over, and this event began, <laughs> and so, and the and the two events in between had a cliffhanger, and it was not something I did on purpose, and I really didn't even realize I had done it until someone complained about it, and I was like, oh god, I did not mean to do that. So I I rushed through, um, the next episode to get it out because I had inadvertently did a cliffhanger. So um, if I'd be careful with cliffhangers because they don't. They're terrible. I I hate to see it as a reader. Um, I don't I don't like cliffhangers. Um, I, I I think I've done it once, and then the final product I took it out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't I don't I I typically find them to be um, artificially suspenseful. Um, mm-hmm. And and I I I if I feel like the plot should be if the plot isn't enough the suspense, um, artificial constructs aren't going to help. Uh, there was an asshole huh? in the 80s who put out an article that, that said that every cl- every chapter should end in a cliffhanger. I will, actually, I will put down stories after I've had like two or three chapters in a row that end on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I just put them down. I'm like, I'm not reading this. Even it, even if the it, story's finished, I won't do it because it's just like I roll my eyes it. so hard at the end of every chapter that the headache is not it's just not worth the eye rolling headache. <laughs> you're, you're seeing gray matter over there. It's exhausting, <laughs> right? It's exhausting to get that over and over and over again as a reader. Um, I think um, in a, in in a traditional novel, a, a cliffhanger isn't a big deal because the reader can turn the page. But doing it over and over and over again is bullshit and stupid. But when you're doing it in an episode format and you post an episode and you're a week, maybe three, away from posting the next one, you're going to get some emails. <laughs> oh my god, Kira, what'd you do? Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I did not mean to do it. And I did do it. And um, I paid for it in my email. And practically every day there was a email. Until I, I posted envision, the next episode. I can envision a couple of circumstances where uh, the story would naturally lend itself to a cliffhanger that is not an, like a a suspense um, construct, but just that like like someone is injured critically and goes into a coma. And everybody's like, whoa, what happened? But maybe that's the end of that arc is where they're injured critically. And nobody knows what happens next. I mean, I could I could see that there are some situations where it would happen, but I I do tend to uh, I, I don't I don't like them personally. Like I said, every once in a while in my rough draft they pop up, and then I go, why did I do that? And I take it out. Oops. Because <laughs> sometimes in my rough draft I just go, oh, I hit the the cliffhanger is not so much for me as trying to do a cliffhanger. It's like, yeah, I got to the climax. I am done writing for today. <laughs> and then I go, hey, that was a cliffhanger. Shit. <laughs> Oops. My bad. <laughs> We're down to um, 90 seconds. Uh, I 
hope that this was helpful. It was very <laughs> helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who are listening, if you have questions about this further, please feel free to go over to the Ask Me Anything page and ask me a question. I'm more than happy to answer your writing questions um, and how I approach them. I'm by no means an expert. I'm a writer just like you. Um, I have a little bit of experience. I'm more than happy to share with you. Um, You guys have a great evening. Um, Tomorrow, I'll probably be unavailable because I'm going on a date with my husband. So, um, I'll probably see you guys on Sunday night for for the for the next podcast. So you guys have a great weekend. Bye.